Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Good morning. I'm glad that you guys are here today. So, not going to dwell on this a whole lot, um, but as, as, as Protestant Christians, people who believe in Jesus, we're going to celebrate Christmas, we're going to celebrate Easter, we're going to come to church on Sunday mornings. We do fully embrace and recognize that the Hebrew word Shabbat or Sabbath is a whole different kind of day of the week. Um, um, and so, we, we acknowledge the fact that good. God-fearing Jews who are celebrating Sabbath in our community and all over the world. They're starting Friday night at sundown and go until sundown the following Saturday. So we recognize that. However, when, when we say Sabbath, we, we often think of it as this day of rest. But the Hebrew word Shabbat also means um, joy. It, it's also this, this, this picture of delight. And so when we come in this place, knowing that this is our, our, our Sabbath, our observance, our, our, our day to rest, it's also our day of delight. Now, I'll just confess to you, it's a whole lot easier for me to delight on a day like today when it's super sunny and pretty and kind of mildly temperatured outside. Amen. Like, doesn't it just feel good? I get it. Sometimes, like, if it's snowy and icy on a Sunday morning, Sundays where it rains are just the worst. I'm a fair weather everything. I get it. Like, uh, there is a workout here in town. It's called F3. If you know what it is, you know what it is. It's a bunch of men literally all over the country. You can find F3 workouts everywhere. They get in parking lots and in fields, and they have a workout that's led by someone who is not a professional. In fact, they say that at the very beginning. You're working out at your own risk. They do all manner of ungodly boot camp kinds of things, and they call themselves by nicknames. Well, I have one. I've been, but I fully, they're out there, rain, snow, sun, doesn't matter, and I'm just like, I'm a fair weather F3. Like, I'm I need it to be somewhere nestled between 40 and 80 degrees before I'm going to show up out there. And the fact that it starts at 5.30 in the morning, which means I usually got to leave my house at 5, like that's, that's hardcore difficult. And so I'm, I'm fair weather on the F3. And the problem with being fair weather on the F3 is that sometimes we're, we're fair weather on this gospel. Like, Lord, I will worship you when it's easy. 
I will come to you when it's convenient and when the weather is real nice outside. I will gather with your people when it feels good. But put any sort of barrier in my way or any sort of difficulty or cloud in the sky and it's going to be hard for me. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward. This is something that if you could not resonate with the idea of F3, you do fully embrace and comprehend this. Dads fall asleep at night. It happened to me. As a kid, I remember my dad falling asleep in his chair after dinner, and he would start snoring. And if my sister and I would make any sort of comment of like, dad fell asleep, he's snoring, he would miraculously wake up in that moment and say, I wasn't asleep. I was just, you know the line, resting my eyes, right? (laughs) Well, during the COVID-19 pandemic, where the world was on lockdown, I try to not mention this, but we frame our lives and our existence, like where you were pre-COVID, where you were during COVID. Well, we were at home. And every Friday night, we allowed the kids to bring their mattresses into the den, and we would put on some kind of movie that we had never seen or that we just liked enough to watch again, and they would have family movie night. And Gosh, without a shadow of any doubt, every time we would watch a movie, I would doze off and fall asleep. And they would all make a comment like, Dad fell asleep. And I would respond in a way that I never thought I was. No, I didn't. I was just resting my eyes. I saw everything that happened, which is in fact not true because now we will go back and there will be a movie on or the kids will be talking about something that we've seen. And I will say, I've never seen that. And they were like, yes, you did. We watched it on family movie night. The problem is you fell asleep. Sometimes it happens and you don't mean for it to. You just sit there and you get cozy. And then all of a sudden you doze off. I see some of you on Sunday mornings. I recognize you sit there. You get cozy. I'm not going to call a name. Oh, Pastor Nick, I was just resting my eyes. I get it. I get it. I get it. Not too long ago, we went to see one of the latest Marvel release. This is not the movie series. You don't have to worry. I'm not about to show you a clip. But we went to see Wakanda Forever in the movie theater. And you know you basically pay $100 to go to the movie theater these days. But we show up in Green Hills, and every person gets their own recliner. And it's so cozy. And it's late at night. I fell asleep before that girl became Black Panther. And I did not wake up until she had completely vanquished the enemy. I was gone the whole time. So we start this week as we're in this series. because John gives us the fullest picture of the what Jesus prayed as they're coming at the conclusion of the Passover meal, a holiday that these guys would have celebrated their entire lives together. Coming at the conclusion of that meal, he tells them a couple of things. One of you guys is going to betray me. We know who that is. And you, Peter, you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows this evening. And then they journey into a garden. And that's where we find ourselves today. If you've got your Bibles and you want to open them up with you or you're pulling up your digital device, we're going to look at John chapter 18 and read big long passages from this long chapter because it's important. And and I don't want you to miss the beginning of it, and I don't want you to miss the end of it, and I certainly don't want you to miss the middle of it. So try not to fall asleep in the center because we have to understand that the mission of Jesus was this. Always from the beginning, from tiny little baby in a manger Jesus all the way to about to be arrested Jesus, his mission was to accomplish God's will, God's way. 
And, and you can't separate those two. And, and just as a spoiler alert of what we're supposed to take away with us for the rest of our days, not just the end of this day, that our mission in life is also to accomplish God's will, God's way. I don't even have to say that there's a whole caveat of people out there that are real bent on accomplishing God's will, but they're not doing it God's way. And so what we end up is a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of chaos, and a whole lot of casualties in the wake. We have to always fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the guy who went before us, that we are going to be a people who accomplish the will of God the way that he intended for us to accomplish it. If we're in John chapter 18 and we start with verse 1, it says, when he had finished praying... So they're in, they're in that upper room. They're done with the meal. I imagine they've cleaned up after it. They've had a lot of conversations. Feet have been washed. Bread has been eaten. Prayers have been prayed. And now Jesus left with his disciples. He crossed into the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden. Other passages of scripture from the Gospels, they call it the Garden of Gethsemane. This place where olives grew and they were pressed. And it's the word that means to be pressed. That's exactly what's about to happen to him. So he goes into the garden and his disciples went into it. Now John doesn't give us the account that Matthew and Mark do. Matthew and Mark give us a whole separate account of what happened in this moment. Like, and maybe you know this part of the story that, that Jesus goes in and he, he begins to pray and he asks his disciples to, to keep watch and to pray with him. And he goes a little further into the garden and he prays. And then he comes away from the place where he was praying and he finds his disciples again. And what are they doing? No, they're resting their eyes. You missed the point, guys. They're just, just, we're just resting our eyes. That's it. That's it. And then he goes back. He's like, no, I asked you to keep watch. And he, he goes back to the place where he's, he's praying. And, and he goes back again. And he's like, he's like, what are you guys doing? Can't you just keep watch? The hour is at hand. So Matthew and Mark give us a, a little more detail in this story. But I want you to see something as a part of this that's super profound to me. It may not be profound to you. If it's not profound to you, don't tell me later because that will hurt my feelings. At least wait till after second service before you tell me this. But in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, that's where we get this whole Passover thing. That's where we get this holiday. What they have just celebrated that very night. What they had celebrated every single Passover annually. You guys celebrate Christmas every year. They celebrate Passover every year. What they had just celebrated was thousands of years old. It happened in the book of Exodus. All of the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. God sent a whole bunch of plagues. The first nine were awful and the tenth was worse because there was a death angel coming into the country. And the only way that the death angel would spare the lives of Israel's firstborn was if they painted the door frames of the houses that they lived in with the blood of a lamb. And that's where we get the word Passover, the idea of like the death angel is going to skip your house and go on to the next one. And so Egypt lost all their firstborn sons that night. And Israel is free. And so Israel gets to go out free. And before God finishes the instructions that they're going to receive, Moses writes this down. He says at the, in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 42, Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. Because the Lord stayed awake. Because the Lord kept watch. On this night, we're talking Passover night, future feast night, on this night... All the Israelites are to keep vigil, stay awake, keep watch, pay attention. 
to honor the Lord for the generations to come. I don't think it's an accident. Hopefully you don't think it's an accident either. That the very thing that Jesus, going a little bit further into the woods that night to pray, asked for his disciples to do was what Israel had always supposed to have been doing. To keep, like on this night more than any other night, pay attention, keep watch, something might happen. It's real important. You're going to want to remember this and you don't want to be fuzzy about the details because you've been over in the corner asleep not paying attention. Or nestled in a real comfy recliner in Green Hills. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus journeying into the garden just a little bit further asks of his disciples what had already been present in the commands of God since the beginning of that Passover celebration. In some ways, I think it can be said that people fall asleep right after Passover and then they don't wake up till the conclusion of the story. You know it when you try a Bible reading plan because about the time that you get to the Ten Commandments, it gets real snoozy and then you're in the book of Leviticus and that's hard to make it through. And then all of a sudden you're in history books and, and, and poetry books and, and, and minor and major prophecy books. And it's not until you get to the Gospels of Jesus and you're like, oh, I can wake up again and watch the, the, the final scenes from this movie. And we sleep our way through the middle and we miss some stuff along the way. And we don't want to be the people who sleep. Oh, we're in, only in verse two. I'm going to have to pick up the pace. It says, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. This isn't their first time in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Judas came to the garden, guiding the detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, verse 4, if you're going to underline any verses from this passage of Scripture, I just recommend that you pick verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? The ESV translation of scripture in this verse is beautiful to me. It says, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He stepped out. I volunteer as tribute. I'm the one that you're looking for. Whom do you seek? He's raising his hand saying, I'm the good shepherd. He had already quoted those words in in John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And in John chapter 10 verse 18, he's like this. Yeah, nobody takes my life from me. You can put those weapons up. You actually don't need them because I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus, knowing everything that would happen to him, knowing that the words from Isaiah chapter 50 are about to be applied to him, that he's going to be hit, that his beard's going to be plucked, and that he would be ridiculed and spit on, no knowing that the words in Isaiah chapter 53 are about to come true in his life, that he's going to be pierced for the transgressions of a fallen world, that he's going to be crushed for our sin. That Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him, said, here I am. He stepped forward into it because his whole mission was to accomplish God's will, God's way, and this is the way. Some of y'all just remembered the episode of Mandalorian this week. I promise not to try to bring that up again. But this is the way. So who are they looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. 
It says, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And that word standing isn't just the proximity of, of where he was. It was an indication of unity and presence and agreement. He wasn't just standing beside them. He was standing with them and their arrest and their trial and ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus. It was Jesus said, I love this verse, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Like him just saying the words had enough power to make them fall down. I think it's remarkable that just at the words that came from his mouth, Jesus didn't have a torch, Jesus didn't have a weapon. They are a mob of people with all of the torches and all of the weapons, and he literally utters one phrase, and they fall to the ground, and yet still those guys had enough guts to arrest him. So again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, and Jesus answered, I told you. I imagine Jesus got a little cocky in that moment, but that's just me. That's just me reading into the text. Told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. You don't need them. They're not going to be pierced for your transgressions. They're not going to have their beards plugged in, their lives ridiculed, and they're not going to be spent on. Like, that's, that's not, like, you, you don't need them. It's happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have lost not one of those that you gave to me. And then Simon Peter, who did have a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Not all of the other gospels give us this part of the story. John does, and I think it's fascinating. The servant's name was Malchus, and Jesus commanded Peter in that moment, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And that drink the cup is not this magnificent cup of coffee. That drink, the, that's not what helped him stay awake that night. That, that, that drink the cup is a symbol for accomplishing the will of God in the way of God. Shall I not just readily and willingly submit to the thing that God has called me to do? And we know that's what that cup is because Matthew gives us another picture of that story. When the disciples were sleeping, Jesus went a little further and he, he fell with his face to the ground. It's written down for us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. May we figure out another plan. Maybe do something like, is it a possible, God, for me to accomplish your will in a different way? And then he said this, yet not as I will, but as you will. Like his whole mission is to accomplish the will of God, the way of God. Is that your mission too? I hope so. You see, Jesus declared, I am he. And then what we see next is that Peter betrayed, I am not. Because if you go to verse 15, you see Jesus is arrested, he's taken away. And it says Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest. He gives this whole great bit of detail. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So there's another disciple that's on the inside in the courtyard overhearing everything that's happening. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. So one disciple goes in. He's witnessing what's happening. He goes back out and says, I'm vouching for this guy. Let me take him into the courtyard so that he can have a better view, so that he can be an earshot as well. And you know what's going on in that moment when they brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? 
little servant girl asked. And Peter replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them. And I don't read that as an among them type of standing, but a with them type of standing. So in verse 25, if you skip down, meanwhile, Jesus is being tried. Jesus is being falsely accused. Jesus is being abused. And meanwhile, it says Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? And he denied it, again saying, I am not. And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear that Peter had cut off, like somebody that knew, challenged him and said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Weren't you with him right there in the garden when we came to arrest him? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, just like Jesus said what happened, the rooster began to crow because Jesus had told him, Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me, not just once, but two times, not just two times, but three times before the roost, like before the end of this night that you were supposed to stay awake during, by the way. You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, never, never would I do that. And one day didn't even pass before Peter denies Jesus. John Piper said this, and I had to look up part of the words of this to kind of understand what was going on. He says, fear living in a way that betrays your lack of satisfaction in God. I was like, betray? Well, doesn't that mean stab in the back? Well, kind of it does, but it has another definition, and it means to unintentionally reveal and be evidence of. Like fear living in a way that provides evidence that you don't find your full satisfaction in God. Fear living in a way that that provides evidence that you, in fact, like I am, are kind of fair weather when it comes to all things. Like fear living in a way that might somehow indicate that you don't love Jesus as much as you say you do. Oh, Lord, I will never deny you. And then he did it three times. I'm ready to draw the sword and go to battle for you. And Jesus says, put that away. Fear living in a way that betrays, indicates You don't love him as much as you say you do. So I was thinking about that this week, and I was wondering, like, how, if you kind of flip the whole story on its edge, how how often do moments like that occur for us? Like, how often are we given a similar opportunity? How often are are we given the same chance? Hey, I was noticing you the other day. Um, Are you, you, I, I think you might be a Christian. Now, great, we hope when that happens that we're able to say, yeah, in fact, I am. Peter was noticed. I think you're one of them. I I think I saw you with him. Yeah, I I think you're one of those followers. Like, is is it obvious to people outside of this room that you're one of the people who gathers inside of this room? Like, are people looking at your life and and saying, yeah, something about that person, something about the way that they behave, something about the way that they live, something about the words that they use and the way that they speak and the temperament that they have and the way they respond to stimuli, especially those that are really challenging, something about that person tells me that they're one of those followers of Jesus. Like, forget what Peter did with the opportunity because he totally botched it but at least he was given the opportunity. How often can that be said of us? And if we were just to declare it from the outset, 
would they be kind of surprised? Would, would people be surprised to find out, in fact, that you do declare Jesus, that you are intent on following him? And Jesus said not once, but two times to the people who came to arrest him, I am he. And what he meant was, I am ready. I'm ready for this. John chapter 6, he said, I've, I've not come down from heaven to, to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's like, okay, if this is it, guys, wake up. The hour is at hand. If this is it, I am ready for this. And then we juxtapose that with the disciple who had once boldly proclaimed Jesus who in Matthew chapter 16 said, you are the Christ, the, the son of the living God. Jesus coming into the region of Caesarea Philippi, asking all of his disciples, hey, hey, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're kind of like a prophet. Some say you might even be the next Elijah. Like you've got a real good reputation among the people, Jesus. And then he looks squarely at him. He's like, who do you say that I am? And the same Peter that quickly drew the sword is the same Peter who quickly spoke up. And he's like, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I'm going to declare boldly that you are Jesus. And that conversation that went on after that is incredible because Jesus looks at him and is like, like, it's like, the world didn't reveal that to you. Logic and common sense, like that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I tell you this day that you're the rock. And this confession that you have made is the rock of faith that I'm going to build my entire church and nothing about this world that we live or the gates of hell that are in it will ever prevail against it. Imagine being that moment in Peter's life. And then you get to this moment in Peter's life. Where again, John chapter 18, third time in a row, he denies Jesus and the rooster begins to crow. This disciple who boldly proclaimed Jesus now shamefully disowns Jesus. And I don't want you to get too far ahead. Because I only pause here for just a minute. And I want you to be reminded of something. And I'm going to look in the mirror and remind myself of something. Your real life, your real standing before God Almighty is not summed up by your greatest achievements. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'll go on a mission trip for you. I'll teach kids church for you. I'll make sure my neighbor across the street knows about you. Like, like, like your real life is not summed up by your greatest achievements nor your absolute worst failures. Not either. Like who Peter was in this moment was not summed up by the fact that he was the first disciple to boldly shout out, raise his hand, please call on me, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I'll draw my sword for you. I'll go, like I will follow you absolutely anywhere. The same guy that was like, hey, don't wash just my feet, wash my whole body because I'm with you. I will never deny you, Jesus. Like the sum of Peter's life is not his achievements. And hallelujah, the sum of Peter's life is not his failures. I kind of just want us to play this on repeat in our lives. God did not save me because I'm awesome. He chose me knowing that I would fail. 
You are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said that and meant that, knowing that this guy was going to deny even knowing him three times on the eve of his arrest before he would die. I'll go back to John chapter 18, verse 4. Knowing all that was going to happen to him, Jesus came forward. <laughs> Knowing all that we were going to do to him, Jesus still stepped up. Like He didn't pick us because we're awesome. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. You are awesome. Like I want to tell you that you're great today. That's not why God loves you. And that's not why Christ picked you. Because not only did he know everything that was going to happen to him, he knew everything that you were ever going to do. And yet still chose to love you, save you, use you, in spite of the fact that you'd fail. You read the story in detail and you find out that the, the whole series of events flip-flops back and forth between Jesus being questioned by the Sanhedrin and the Jewish religious aristocracy and, and the chief priests of the Jewish people who were living under the authority of Rome and being passed back over to Rome. And that was their desire from the outset because Rome had the power to execute in a way that they did not, and they wanted Jesus dead. So they passed him back over to Pilate in a series of conversations, a series of back and forth. Pilate goes back inside the palace, if you skip down into John chapter 18, verse 30. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Like, just tell me, are you these people's king? Is that your own idea, Jesus said, or did others talk to you about me? Hey, Pilate, who do people say that I am? Like, what's my reputation? What, tell me, tell me what, you've, what you've heard. Pilate's like, am I a Jew? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus says, my kingdom, like those, you're calling them those my people, but FYI, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. And so Pilate responds, he's like, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born, God's will. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And in perfect postmodern fashion, Pilate's like, what is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews that were gathered there. And he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. And I'm looking at Pilate, and I'm looking at Peter. And I'm looking at Pilate, and I'm looking at Peter. And then I'm looking back at Pilate, and, and, and I want to say this. Finding no guilt in Jesus is not the same as putting your trust in Jesus. Jesus is a real good leader. He said a lot of really amazing things. Gosh, it just didn't seem like he made any mistakes at all. There's no, no sin or no blame that's found in... Like, Finding no guilt or blame in Jesus is not the same as putting your trust in Jesus. Being attracted to Jesus is not the same as accepting Jesus. In, in 3 John 1, 4, he says, I have no greater joy 
than to hear and to understand that my children are walking in the truth. And if we're walking in the truth, we can go back to John chapter 18, verse 37, that everybody on the side of truth listens to him. John Mark Comer writes this, our war against the three enemies of the soul, the, 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 the flesh and the, the world and the enemy is not a war of guns and bombs. Those guys came to him with torches and weapons, but our war is not a war against guns and bombs. It's not against other people at all. It's a war on lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more of the fact that we live them, that we, we somehow believe them, that we let a false narrative about reality. I was just resting my eyes. That we let a false narrative about reality into our bodies and they wreak havoc on our souls. So we want to stay awake. And we don't want to miss the meat in the middle. Like even if somehow or another you snoozed the rest of that Old Testament and you just woke up and all of a sudden Jesus is arrested. This is the moment that you want to wake up for because we're getting to the victory. The next week we talk about Palm Sunday. Don't miss the victory. Then we go into Good Friday. Don't miss the victory. And then we walk into Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate the fact that this Jesus who volunteered for this, who said, I am he when they came to get him for this, that this Jesus, Jesus lives. Even if we miss the middle, we can still understand the ending and the greatest truth of all, that the only one worthy was the only one willing. That's why he came. So to stay awake is to understand the truth. And to understand the truth is to find the way. God's will. God's way. Like even while the rest of us are going, I'm not. I am nothing but a big old failure. He's stepping out and going, I'll take their place. I'm he. I'm who you're looking for. I'm the one you want. I'm the only one that can do what needs to be done. Like no matter how many swords we draw, no matter how many prayers we pray, no matter how many bold declarations we make, we still settle back in our own failure and recognize we are not it. We are not enough. We're as fair weather as they become, boldly declaring Jesus with our praise songs on Sunday and then boldly rejecting him with our actions on Monday. We are those fair weather, can barely stay awake people. And yet he voluntarily, willingly stood in our place and hung on a cross. John 18, 4, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, he still stepped up. And knowing everything that you and I were going to do to him, he still loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a day like today. When we can just continue to put our, put our attentions on you. Knowing, Jesus, that you came to bring this incredible truth so that, so that we could walk in it, so that we could understand it, so that we could live by it, so that we could embody it. And fully recognizing that as much as we know and as much as we sing and after all that we declared, we are still going to be a people who fail you our words, 
with our actions, with our relationships, with our lives. And that you willingly died for us anyway. In the same manner that you declared, I am he, we boldly say, I am not. I'm not enough on my own. I need you. So Jesus, we pray today that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Easter. That we wouldn't fall asleep, that we wouldn't get distracted, that we wouldn't get so overloaded that we miss what it is you want to communicate. We need to keep vigil this week, God. We need to keep vigil this season, God. We need to pay attention after Passover because this is the reason that you came, God, to save a really unworthy people to accomplish the will of an almighty God. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.